You are listening to the Purpose of Money podcast, a podcast where we talk about ways to build wealth and create more freedom in your life today. I am your host, Aquania Escarnet. Hey guys, welcome back to the Purpose of Money podcast. Today, I'm super excited. We're joined by Brent Bowers, and we're going to talk about buying and selling vacant land. Brent Bowers is the owner of the Land Sharks. He's also an investor and coach with a focus on buying and selling land. His interest in real estate began in 2007 when he purchased his first home. While Brent invests in many different types of real estate, his favorite investment strategy is buying and selling vacant land. Hey, Brent, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm good, Aquania. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. The purpose of money. Yes, let's talk about it. I am excited to talk about why you love land and why it's such a lucrative way to make money. But before we dive into that, I want to know a little bit more about you and your background. So tell my listeners, what was money like for you when you were growing up? It was scarce, that's for sure. Um, and I'll tell you, you got it. It's it's taken me my entire life to change that mindset. Uh, we we can have scarcity mindset for anything, scarcity of food or money or raw land even. Um, and I'll tell you, there was growing up, there was always just enough money to like cover the grocery. I remember my mom walking through the grocery store with that little red clicker. She had exactly this much to spend and that's all she would spend. Like we couldn't put anything more in the cart. And I remember me and my sister would like, just write a check for it. Well, my wife has this little red card and she just buys anything in the store. Um, so it's just, I, I've just worked hard to change that. So I wish, I wish we can go back to that clicker. Actually, I'd spend a lot less money. <laughs> I know. That's so funny. You mentioned that when I was a kid, my mom would have a calculator and she mm -hmm. would take, we would take turns. I would do the calculating or she would do the calculating, but we would track prices as we shopped. And then we would know when we got to checkout well before, like whether or not this was going to work. Right. And then, you know, I would still try to sneak things into the cart, but she would say, no, that's not in the budget or we can't afford it. We're already over. And so I love that because you witnessed firsthand the purpose of that, but you also related it to your money mindset, which you then had to change. So what are some of the things that you do now in your family to ensure that you have a abundant mindset or not a scarcity mindset? I'll tell you, it's daily, absolute daily work. And one of the things I do is, you know, every day we, we add, I work on my business a little bit more so that money will keep coming in. And it's like, you know, as, as business owners, as entrepreneurs, I feel like we're always working on the business, but I, I think it comes from that early childhood. I'll tell you one of the bad habits I have. Well, you know, I, I call it bad, but, uh, I walk around turning all the lights off when my kids and my wife leave in the morning. I mean, cause I'm like, you know, these, we have LED light bulbs and it says like, you will burn $4.82 uh, per year with this light bulb. And I'm seeing that and like, okay, this thing's burning like two cents an hour. Like, come on. Like the time it takes for me to turn off all those lights, it took me like probably like a couple minutes to do that. But is it really worth, is, is the juice worth the squeeze? Probably not. So it's just, uh, it's taught me all these things. And then also have grandparents that they came from the great depression timeframe. So what I do daily, 
you know, is reading books from great people that have created great things. Um, and it's, it has never taken me away of that waste, not want, not type mentality. Hmm, I like that. And you know what? I think that it's amazing that you have grandparents that survived the depression because that is a whole nother mindset. When you actually witness an economy collapse and families are struggling but I'm not going to judge you about turning off the lights because <laughs> I do that in my house too. And my husband hates it. He says the same thing. He's like, are we really saving money by you going on this crusade about the electricity? But it's just a, it's just a thing. Like you don't want to waste electricity. You also know that in the long run, it might have a greater impact on the environment. Yeah. But you're just like, I'm not in that room anymore. You're not in that room anymore. Why is the TV still why is the light exactly the so. fans the light the <laughs> yes. tv it's like do we have to have this stuff on like eight, on in eight or nine rooms <laughs> yes and on high not even just like <laughs> the lowest setting possible but on high so i am with you i am team club turn it off but i totally get it if your spouse is like what the heck is wrong with you <laughs> she probably does because i'm telling you she'll she'll leave the bathroom and i'm like why are all these lights on i just turn it off and she'll come right back in so sometimes it's embarrassing it's like i probably shouldn't do that but yes. it's a it's a habit i picked up from my parents <laughs> yeah no i get that i totally get that so then how did you go from working on your finances and being a daily practitioner of better habits to having a love for investing in raw land. Where did that spark come from? Cause I did a little research and I know that you come from a military background. Um, so was it anything in your military background that sparked it or was it something completely different? It was definitely from the military. I actually started out in real estate in 2007 and I was a big quitter in 2009 because it was rough back, back then in the military. I ended up having to move in with my in-laws. I went from being a business owner to a real estate license to a rental property to I can't afford my bills anymore. So I had to move in with my in-laws and then join the military because I thought that would be an easier career path. Well, here's the thing about the military. I was on a on a deployment cycle, which was pretty much every other year. So we're, we're home for a year, we're gone a year. But here's the thing, when you're home, you're training up for the next deployment, the next combat deployment. So you're in the field a lot. So I was always gone. And marriage number one did not work out. I'll just leave it at that. And it wasn't because I was just a pleasure to live with when I was home. I wasn't, I'm all, I was always going towards the next goal, building the next business, going for the next promotion. So I meet my wonderful lady uh, that I'm married to now, Emily, and we got married, we got pregnant, and baby number one comes out, and that's when it sparked. 2016, I was like, I have got to get out of the military. I want to be home to see this baby. I want to be home with my beautiful wife, and I don't want history to repeat itself. So I, I am one of those people, I am motivated by fear of pain, not towards pleasure. So I started listening to all the podcasts, studying everything. Wholesaling Inc. was a huge one. And then I started listening to what other people were doing. And I heard about a guy doubling his money overnight, pretty much buying and selling vacant raw land. And I was like, that is for me because I don't think there's any competition in it. No one's talking about this except for this guy. And I just started taking immediate action, very imperfect action, by the way. I made a lot of mistakes started mailing vacant raw land owners 
and it worked out pretty well. Oh, wow. That is really interesting. Uh, we definitely need to dive into this because it's funny that you kind of mentioned you took an active interest in learning and executing what you heard and discovered through your research. I want to emphasize that because so many people are going to listen to this podcast and they're not going to take action. And that is what is going to distinguish you from being the average knowledgeable person about land to the rock star land investor, right? Taking that action. So what are your top three tips for someone who wants to get started? They listen to this podcast and they're like, yes, I love land. Let's do it. What is it? What do they do first? Yeah. If I, if I can make, wave a magic wand and by the time this podcast over, I would love for those that take action that listen to this podcast to be able to do a land deal right away. So the top three steps, let me see if I can narrow that down into three things. One is you got to pick a market. What market? I want you to pick an area where the land is selling. You know, let's just say you live in Orlando, Florida, go to Redfin or Zillow and just search Orlando, Florida. Then I want you to go to the filter and then click sold. I want you to look at the solds and then scroll down a little bit and click land and then scroll down a little bit more and look at the last three months. And then one more step, exit out Orlando because I want Orlando to go away. I want that map to be visible and I want you to see the clusters of solds, where land is selling. I know you own a ton of real estate in Maryland, so you probably invest in areas where there's jobs and growth and things like that happening. Same thing with vacant raw land. So where the land is selling is where there's demand. So I don't want you going in the middle of the desert where no one's buying or selling anything because one, how do you figure out what it's worth? And when you get it for pennies on the dollar under contract, it doesn't matter because you can't sell it. So the thing with going in demand areas is you know you're going to have a buyer. So that's number one, pick the area. And number two is you, I'm trying to really narrow this down. You want to pull a list of landowners in that area and number three, start mailing them offer letters. And I'll give, I can give you the exact offer letter I send that I bought millions of dollars worth of land for. But yeah, step one, figure out where the land is selling. And then let's add a few things to that. What price is it going for? How much per acre? How much per square foot? Number two, get a list of landowners with some like a program called PropStream. That's a really great program to pull a list of landowners. And number three, mail them a letter. It could be a postcard. It could be very simple saying I'd love to buy your land at 123 Main Street. Call me or text me. So that's going to be the steps to get started, and then we can talk about how to sell it. Okay, that's a good place to start because some people, they're like, what do I begin with? And you gave a lot of tips and tools, so I'll make sure to link those in the show notes. But I like what you said. If you want to be in your area where you already live, you can start there. But then kind of open the map up to actually work and focus on areas where things are selling. So we're going back to the basics of economics, supply and demand, and making yes. sure that you are going where there is a supply, but there's also a demand. So once you've identified great location, you did your marketing in the mail, and somebody responded, what do you do next? Yeah. So if you send out a purchase agreement, because I, I call it my land offer letter, it's actually a purchase agreement making an exact offer for their land. How do I price those purchase agreements? It goes back to that Zillow or Redfin, and you want to look at two things, price and either square foot 
and price or acres, whichever you know area you're in. Most of the time, a lot of times, they'll show square foot under a quarter acre. And then when it gets to about 0.25 acres, it goes to more acres. So one little trick I've learned over the years is like, okay, how many square foot is in 0.37 acres? Well, just go to Google and do acres to square foot, and you can figure that out really easily. But what I'm looking for in that price, let's just use really round numbers here. Land's going for $10,000. That's what the sold price is. And the lot is 10,000 square foot. So if you take $10,000 divided by 10,000 square foot, okay, it's going for about a dollar a square foot. So that's how you figure out what the land's worth. Well, you can narrow that. Basically, you can reverse engineer that. Like I want to make, um, I don't know, $1,000 when I, when I buy and sell this parcel of land. Okay, so that means I need to offer about $9,000. All right, so we got to figure about $1,000 in Closing costs, so I need to be offering about 80 cents on the dollar. Or here's a better example. Let's just say the land's going for 100 grand because who wants to only make a thousand bucks, right? Bad example, very bad example. So let's just say the land's going for a hundred thousand dollars and you want to make ten thousand dollars per deal. That's probably going to get more people out of bed, you know, because I know you have some awesome listeners. So you want to make ten thousand dollars per transaction. So land's going for a hundred thousand. Now you need to offer ninety thousand. Well, what about the realtor? If you're going to use a realtor to sell it, they're going to charge 6%, right? Or on average, 6%. So you need to figure out another $6,000 for the realtor. And then let's figure in closing costs. So $1,000 right there on average, national average. So we're at now 90 minus the $6,000. So now we're at 84000 minus closing costs, about 83000 But there's one more thing I like to consider is... When I list our land, when we list our land for sale with a land specialist realtor, I want to be the cheapest on the market. It's not like that three-bedroom, two-bath house where this one's got a pool, this one's got granite. Which one are we going to choose? No, this one's dirt. This one's dirt. Which one are we going to choose? Oh, let's, let's pick the one that's $10,000 less than everything else. So let's build in another buyer discount. So we went from $84,000 now to $74,000. And if my numbers are off a little bit, hopefully everyone's getting the picture here. So at $74,000, that's 74 cents on the dollar. So that's kind of where I'm offering with these land offer letters. So if the land's selling for about 100 usually, I'm going to offer everyone in that area that's got a 10,000 square foot parcel, 74,000. And when they sign this thing and send it back, now I have an asset under contract at 74 cents on the dollar. And I can do multiple things with it. I can sell that contract. I can buy it and flip it really quick with a realtor. So there's multiple steps. And that's just a really round number example of what we do. Okay. So here's a question for someone who's like, all right, sounds good. See the numbers. Put in a good offer. Someone accepts it. Now, what do I do if I don't have 75 k in the bank? Where does the money come from to actually pay the seller? Yeah, great, great question. So if I can't assign my contract to a cash buyer that I found through a land specialist realtor, or maybe I use batch skip tracing to see, okay, who's buying all the land here? What LLCs, what businesses are buying the land around here? I'm call them like, hey, I got a piece of land. It's worth $100,000. Would you be interested in buying it for you know 85000 And then I keep the difference between what the person buys it for and what I've got it under contract. So if I got it under contract, for seventy-four thousand, they buy it for eighty-four thousand, ten thousand dollar difference. So that's one way to not have to come up with the funds. 
Well, there's other ways. I didn't really start off with $75,000 parcels of land. I started off with the cheaper stuff, the stuff that was on the tax delinquent list, the stuff that, you know, people were just not paying their back taxes. So I would get this stuff at like 10, 20, 30 cents on the dollar. And sometimes I would sell my contract, the actual piece of paper that it was under contract on. Sometimes I would buy it myself. Sometimes I would borrow the money from my mother-in-law, pay her 9% interest, and we would flip it in like three to six months. But my preferred method was to buy it and sell or finance it to someone. So I'm buying it for 20, 30 cents on the dollar, like really cheap. And I would sell or finance it for what it was worth with a down payment and a monthly payment. So we built that up. We've got 79 parcels of land where buyers are paying us payments on right now. So on average, we get about 18 grand a month in payments coming in. But I didn't start there. I started with one parcel of land. The first parcel was $285, sold it for $5,000. I just kept getting bigger and bigger. And it was like growing that, you know, that they call it the snowball effect. It really works. You know, I started this in 2016 and it started with the first $285 property and then turned into 5,000. Just kept so on and so on and so on. Wow. So $283 went a long way for you. Did the person that paid the 5,000, do you know if they kept it or if they flipped it? Like, was there still more area to, to win financially? Yes, actually there was. So, that first seller that sold me that land, he was a retired CPA and he was behind on taxes. Now, I here's the thing about tax delinquent land. You'll run out of that pretty quickly. So you can get you build your bank account up a little bit, but then eventually you just have to start mailing bigger, more expensive stuff. So how did I find this person? I had no clue what this land was worth. So when I left the land, it was about it was almost an hour drive for me to go look at this land. When I left it, I called the real estate office that was at the bottom of the hill and I was like, hey, you know, Miss Realtor, I forget her name now, but she answered the phone. I was like, I'm looking at a piece of land on Palmer Lake Avenue. It's looking at Palmer Lake, uh, the Pike National Forest in Palmer Lake, Colorado is there. And I was like, it's not buildable. I want to know what your 30-day blowout price is. Like, I need to sell this fast because $285 was a lot of money for me back then. I didn't want to leave it locked up in a piece of land that was not going to make me money. Like, that's why most people don't buy land. They don't want to leave their their funds locked up in it. And pray one day they can sell it for more. So she goes, well, I don't know about a two hundred. I don't know about the two hundred eighty-five dollar piece of land, but the, I think you probably could get ten thousand dollars for it eventually. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay, that sounds like a great deal. I'll let you know when I buy it. So she calls me back in like five minutes and makes an offer for five grand and says she can close on it the next week. So I call my seller. I said, hey, can I pay you on Tuesday? He said, sure. This was next week. And he brought me the quick claim deed that he notarized. I made big mistakes. I didn't do a title search, none of that stuff. And I took this, this warrant, or I took the deed. It should have been a warranty deed. I buy them only on warranty deeds now. I took the quick claim deed to the title insurance company on Tuesday night and went back on Wednesday and picked up my $5,000 check. And it was a realtor. And guess what she did? She flipped it about a year and a half ago for almost 35,000. So she turned her five grand into 35,000. The city's finally working a road through there where it's eventually going to be buildable. And she, that person should be able to build a $2 million house on it. Wow. (laughs) So, and it took from 2016 to 2023 for that road to go in. I wasn't willing to wait for that. I wanted my money turning. 
Understood. And I get it. But let's not go too fast over the things you mentioned that you did wrong. So I'm into real estate investing. So I know a lot about titles and clear titles are really important because that confirms that you have ownership of that property. But you also get title insurance that says in the event that I wasn't the actual owner or someone else claims ownership to this land prior to my purchase, this title insurance is going to ensure that I'm protected, right? But it sounds like you said you skipped that all together, right? You didn't do the search and you didn't, I don't know if you bought title insurance or not, but, or she bought title insurance, but that is, she would have had to, yeah, she would have had to do it. Okay. So she bought it to protect her investment, but you didn't do the search and she could have done a search and found something right. And title searches will make or break a deal, right? Because nobody wants to buy something that someone else already owns. And that's right. It'll also prove to you if you're working with the right person. So that leads me to another question. Let's say um, you are a wholesaler and that is your goal. You're trying to boost your profits and then you're going to go in and start purchasing your own land that you might flip later. How do you prevent someone from going around you and straight to the owner? Yeah. So the only thing I could do is put it under contract and people can, people have went around me before. Um, and there's ways that you can record a notice of interest on that property. Uh, if I ever noticed there was any funny business, I would do that, but you gotta be very careful doing that nowadays because, you know, talk to an attorney before you go and put a notice of interest on a property because you can actually cloud the title. Um, so you want to know the proper ways to do that. So that's one thing we can do to mitigate someone going around us. I don't do that very often unless I just know there's some funny business, but if a seller decides to not sell to me, then that's fine. There's so many other fish in the sea to, to not have to like force them to do it. Now, if a seller decides that they're not going to sell because it's in their best interest to not sell, then that's fine. But they're just trying to get more money out of me or someone else, then I will hold them to it. Um, but yeah, it's that's that's one way. And it's also trusting your buyers, You know, trusting the buyers that you deal with, trusting the land specialist realtor uh, that you're dealing with to not go around. And there's one way I recommend that is to deal with the land specialist realtor that's doing all the business in that area because usually they've got a pretty good reputation. They're not they're not going around you and uh, taking people's deals if they're doing most of the sales in that area. That's really, really good advice. And it all goes back to relationships, building trust, getting to know the buyer and them having uh, and the seller and having that comfort and working with you if you are the wholesaler in the middle of the deal. But I really That's liked what true. you said about working with a specialist in the area who knows the area and knows the industry. So that means building a team of experts in that area and space. And then when you build trust, they might start to send you opportunities, right? Because their goal is oh, yeah. to close as well. So I like that. And I think that's some really good advice. So you mentioned in passing that you went after raw land because there was no competition. Do you still feel that way years later? I do feel that way. Um, I will say that land has gotten a little bit more competitive from 2016 to 2022, 2022 timeframe because 
I think, and I hate, I don't want to talk about COVID, but one thing that COVID did was it pushed more people to go further out and to expand by larger parcels, like more camping and glamping and a place to go ride our quads. So it made what I was doing way cooler and I was able to sell way more land. Um, but what I'm seeing now is parcels of land. The prices are starting to go down a little bit. So it went from a buyer's market in 2016 to about a, to a crazy seller's market about 2019 to 2020 or 2022. So I do feel that the, the competition did start rising. Um, we'll see what happens here soon. I think there's more land deals out there now. I'm starting to see sellers be more willing to negotiate again and be more willing to give me amazing seller financing deals. What does that mean? The landowner is willing to take payments now. And, and most of the time, I try and get 0% interest, principal-only payments. So if I'm paying $500 a month, that balance is going down $500 every single month. I like that. I like that. So... um I think that's a really interesting perspective, though. But there's a lot of things people did in COVID that they didn't do before. And one of them was have plenty of time to be on the Internet. So they probably were also finding a lot of these land deals because they were searching the Internet and taking an interest in learning a lot of new skills. But in your honest opinion, since you've done this quite some time, how much time do you think it takes between learning the strategy, executing the strategy and making your first check? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, I teach people, I, we call it the land sharks. I teach people every day how to do this. And on average, it's anywhere from about 30 days to about six months. We just had Alana Cohen. Uh, she's a, um, a single mom of four. And it took, it took her a little over six months. So, but on average, it's about, you know, 30 days to six months. And the faster I see people go out and start taking action, you know, researching that area, sending those land offer letters, talking to sellers, because there's really only two things we do in this business that makes us money. Reaching out to landowners and selling this land to people that want to become landowners. It's like taking one man's trash and turning it into a treasure. I like that. I like that a lot. And I know that. That is true. So it goes all the way back to our first point about execution, getting the knowledge and then taking action. So I, I really think this is good. And if you offer the training and a website or anything, please let us know what that is. I'll give you a moment when I ask my uh, next question. So it is really important to me that anyone who's in the real estate space understands the diversity of it. So I'm so glad we're having this conversation about raw land because this is just one way to invest. But do you have other areas where you're also in real estate investing and maybe you love second to investing in land? Yeah, I'm definitely a diehard land fan. There's a reason why I wear this shirt with land on it, and I have a hat, and I like when people ask me in the gym, what does that mean? Because those people become my, my private lenders and my partners um, to buy bigger, more like crazy. Land. We just bought a $1.2 million parcel of land, um, which is really crazy. Uh, it's got some great potential for it. But um, as far as the thing I like second is I love – so here's – Here's the, let me tell you something bad about land. When you sell or finance land or flip land, you pretty much get taxed at ordinary income. If I flip it and I make a hundred grand, I get taxed a hundred grand on ordinary income. If I sell or finance it and break that hundred thousand dollar profit up over 30 years, 
I get taxed very slowly on that profit. But here's the thing. It's still ordinary income. And I'm no CPA or tax expert. So someone that's smarter in taxes might be disagreeing with everything I say. But what I do is I take the income we receive from this land and I do two things with it. I spend it. No, I'm just kidding. I buy more land and then I also spend it to buy income producing real estate that has buildings. So we bought our office building and we used one one room and we rented out the remaining space so we can cost or so we can depreciate that building over 27 and a half years and then do things called cost segregation. Then we bought the next year we bought a lake house, um, a vacation rental uh, that's rented out most of the year. We use it all the time, but that also allows me to depreciate that property and save money on taxes. So that's my second strategy. Then we also invested in a 19-unit apartment complex, which I have partners in that, and then a couple other you know, buildings that get us rent. We just bought a nine-bedroom uh, workforce housing uh, property. Um, actually, one of my Landshark students, um, we bought that together. So little things like that to save me a boatload of money on taxes. I love that. So not only are you teaching the strategies, but you are reinvesting the money in your business to create additional income, whether it's be active or passive. And I love rentals. I love commercial real estate. And the fact that you got your office space, took up one room or one portion and rented out the rest is golden. I love that. I love that. I love that. And then your collaboration with existing students is amazing. Now, I want to tell people that doesn't mean he'll collaborate with you, but if the deal makes sense, then you're going to do it. That's what it sounds like. This has been oh, awesome, yeah. Brent. I love to do deals. I'm not a deal junkie. I won't do the deal just to do it, but if it's extremely profitable, I don't care if there's 15 people involved. The land sharks are doing deals together all the time. Either someone's funding it and someone's finding it, someone's buying it. It's just amazing. So I get to I get to see what other successful land investors all over the country are doing and I learn stuff all the time from them. It's just incredible. Like I if you would have told me that 2 years ago when I started this, I wouldn't have believed it. I know. I love that. And so that leads me to a question about your community. So you have a virtual community. I'm sure they're online. You're working together to teach strategy and execute. Do you have any in-person opportunities, a conference that you do every year or any other way that your students can engage? No, I don't do in-person events. A lot of my students actually do. It's funny. They become coaches and they start holding masterminds and that's incredible. Um, I'm a homebody. Um, I started, I, I have to remember why I started this business for lifestyle to be, you know, I have a, I have three very small kids and an amazing wife I want to be around. So I've actually thought about doing more in live person events. And every time I start to plan it, I completely disregard it. Um, <laughs> but we do meet every Tuesday over Zoom and we actually have multiple support calls a week now. Other Land Sharks community members are holding them and I'm sorry about the dog barking. I thought it'd be a great idea to open the office windows today and it's, it's turning out a bad idea when you record a podcast. Okay. I, I can barely hear it. So if you I heard the muting. dog in the background, that is totally natural. And that's what we're doing here. We're having real authentic conversations in real time. And sometimes the dogs want to participate too. <laughs> I mute every time. I'm like, shut up. No. <laughs> <laughs> so without further ado, I want to ask you, the name of the podcast is called The Purpose of Money. So I do ask all of my guests this question. 
What is your purpose for money? I love that question because it changes, but right now the purpose for money is to do good things. I mean, making a lot of money doesn't do it doesn't really do much for your happiness, but it can it it can give you more of what you already are. So I want more experiences with my family, not just my children and my wife, but our family members. We're going to Wisconsin here in a couple of weeks to celebrate my father-in-law's 70th birthday. Without money and time, I couldn't take a week off to do that. Um, and then the next the, uh, the next week, we're going to our lake house for a week. So money gives us just opportunity to have experiences and to do things and also to bless other people's lives. It's not just for us, and it's not our money. You know, it's, God is allowing it to come through our hands. And I, I think Dave Ramsey gave this example one time, but I'm going to take it from him, by the way. I'm using my make it my own, but if you're – Fists are clenched, and anybody listening to this, my fists are clenched. Nothing can find its way into my hands. And then if my hands are open, money can come in and money can go out very easily. So it's, it's, we're just conduit. And money is really just a, a way of experiences. And you can choose for them to be good experiences or bad experiences. 100%. I absolutely love that answer. Thank you, Brent, so much for sharing your wisdom and being the land man or the land shark who is teaching others how to purchase and sell raw land. Guys, if you want to learn these strategies and join the Land Sharks community, I encourage you to follow Brent Bowers and everything social media and to check out his website. Brent, can you do us a favor? Let us know where we can find you so people can connect. Yeah, the easiest place is thelandsharks.com. I'm also on TikTok as of recently. I'm, I'm coming out with a video a day talking about land investing and some strategies and techniques and education. Brent L. Bowers. And um, I try and respond to all messages on Instagram. So it's also Brent L. Bowers. Awesome. We love it. So we'll make sure to include links to everything in the show notes. Guys, make sure you like, follow, and subscribe so you can get land updates and do the work, guys. We talked about execution is key. Don't just listen to this podcast. Take action. If you like the episode, please share it with a friend. Like the podcast and subscribe to The Purpose of Money. And please leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. We appreciate you. Until next time, keep building generational wealth. Thank you for listening to The Purpose of Money podcast. For more resources and information, check out my website, thepurposeofmoney.com. And while you're there, please sign up for our newsletter so you'll have all the latest information on new episodes and blog posts. Until next time, keep building generational wealth.